morning by having some fun with the greatest quiz ever. I'm not kidding. This, kid, this quiz is great. I'll read the questions. It'll also be up on the screen. And I think you will quickly see why this is such a great quiz. Also, you might want to keep track of how many of the questions you got correct. And please, please don't shout out your answers. Let everyone have a chance to think for themselves. Ready to get started? Let's go with question number one. There is a well-known hymn with the title, Great is Thy Blank. What's the last word of the title? Don't shout it out. Just keep track of yourself. Of course, great is thy faithfulness. That's the easiest one. Next one, this contemporary Christian song was written by Michael W. Smith and his wife, Debbie. It is in our green hymnals. It's an older contemporary song. The title is Great is Blank Blank. I see a few puzzled faces. Great is the Lord. Now, do you see why this is such a, a great quiz? It only gets greater from here. Number three, in which of the four Gospels are these words of Jesus recorded? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. A little tougher, but the fact of the matter is you've got a one in four chance, right? 25% chance. It's either got to be Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. One out of four, okay. It's John, I heard somebody shout it out. John 15, 13. Keep track of your score. Number four, this is the toughest one of the entire quiz. In 1965, the movie, The Greatest Story Ever Told, was released. Who played the role of an adult Jesus in this movie? Was it A, Jeffrey Hunter, B, Max von Sydow, C, Robert Powell, or D, Jim Cavazil? I never can pronounce it. You got to think about this one a second. The actual answer is Max von Sydow, which was B. But actually, all four of those men played Jesus in a movie. Jeffrey Hunter was in King of Kings. Robert Powell was Jesus of Nazareth. And Jim C., I can't pronounce his last name, was the Passion of the Christ. All right, last question. This verse is part of a passage often used in weddings. And now these three remain faith hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Which book of the Bible is it from? Romans, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, or Revelation, and if you get the chapter right, we'll give you half a bonus point. Of course, it's 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So let me, let me ask you this. How many got at least three correct? Quite a few. How many got at least four correct? Couple. Did anybody get all five correct? No. I didn't think. That movie one was tough. Well, it wasn't easy, but it was a great quiz, wasn't it? And it's going to be a great message today, too. Now, if you were with us last Sunday, you might remember that we were in the first part of John 3, and the Pharisee Nicodemus had come to visit Jesus at night. And Jesus told Nicodemus that he had to be born again. And this confused Nicodemus because Nicodemus was thinking of a, a physical rebirth and he couldn't see how that was possible. 
Jesus then went on to explain that to be born again is to be born of the Holy Spirit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in regenerating us. In other words, in turning us from our sin, turning us towards God. Being reborn is the total transformation of a person from the inside out. And Jesus said it was necessary for us to be born again. Now here's the fact, is if you have trusted your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been born again. And you might remember exactly when it happened. Maybe it was a very a moment where you prayed or something happened and God got a hold of you and you felt newness, you felt something different. But others of us here this morning may not remember the precise moment that we were born again. But if you're a Christian, it happened. And not knowing exactly when we were born again sometimes happens for those of us who perhaps grew up in the church. And we can't remember a single time when Jesus was not our Lord and Savior. But we were born again. Being born again is of God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And being born again is revealed by how we live. Our behaviors and our attitude change. Being born again brings a noticeable change in how we think and how we speak and in how we act. And in our passage last week, Jesus fully explained to Nicodemus what it meant to be born again. But Nicodemus still struggled. In John chapter 3, verse 9, which we read just a few minutes ago, Nicodemus asked, how can this be? How can I be born again? And we look back from 2,000 years, and it's easy for us maybe to pick on Nicodemus. We think, well, why couldn't he understand? And yet, if we're honest, we may have struggled, or maybe we still struggle with the concept, with the idea of what it means to be born again. Well, in the next verses, Jesus provided further explanation to Nicodemus and us, and then in the middle of our passage, it switches over to John's commentary. And it's clear as we read that passage that we heard a few minutes ago that Jesus now, he was the teacher, and Nicodemus, the scholarly Pharisee, was the student. And Jesus taught a great lesson. We learn best when we come to God with a humble heart. And Jesus responded to Nicodemus' question with a statement and a question of his own. Jesus said, you are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? Nicodemus should have known better. Jesus corrected his students saying, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. And what Jesus was saying is there is, Nicodemus, you've heard the testimony of John the Baptist. You've heard of my witness. You're part of the religious elite. And you don't accept me? See, the Pharisees didn't accept Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. And then Jesus continues and he says, you know, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? See, Jesus was sharing lesser earthly truths about new birth in a person's life. 
And Nicodemus didn't understand. He didn't believe. And so Jesus was saying, how could I share greater spiritual heavenly truths with you? They would have gone right over Nicodemus' head. And Jesus' words are true today. I've I've talked to, to people, you probably have too, who, and maybe you're one of them, but you've missed the obvious evidence of God in the world around you. You don't see the magnificent work of his hand in creation. And yet some try to make their own God based on what they think. And the point is, if they don't see what is plainly clear in creation, a lesser truth, how can they understand the deeper truth, the greater truth of the spiritual depths of God? The problem, I think, comes down to our perspective. We, we look at the world from our limited human perspective. We sometimes struggle to see the spiritual And yet if we're to grow in our faith and our understanding of truth, we must confess that we need help. We need help from God. And if we put our trust in him and we ask God for help, the Holy Spirit will reveal spiritual, heavenly truths to us. Jesus said no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. He was speaking of himself. And what it shows us is that we have the best teacher ever when it comes to spiritual truth truths his name is jesus we need a word from god and we have it jesus words and in the entire bible and sadly some people still ignore jesus and they never open up a bible but the good news is that when we do when we open our hearts to learn from jesus and god's word great things happen we begin to understand the answer to Nicodemus' question, how can this new birth be? How can this be? Well, the answer comes from the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. And the message of John 3.16 could be said to be a summary of the entire Bible. So how can this new birth be? Well, new birth first is a result of the greatest love. John 3.16 begins, For God so loved the world. In Ephesians 3.18 and 19, in the New Living Bible translation, the Apostle Paul prayed that you and I might have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of God is. Paul also prayed that we might experience the love of Christ, though he said it is too great to understand fully. God's love for us surpasses human knowledge. We can't comprehend fully how much God loves us. But we can grow in our understanding. You know, when a a young couple stands before their friends and family and the Lord to commit to one another in marriage, their love is deep. Their love is strong. Their love is still new. Their love can be emotional. And yet often that couple has no idea as to the depth that their love can grow over time for their spouse. In a marriage centered on Jesus, the two can truly become one. Years ago, my 
wife Mary had some back surgery. And I remember lying in bed the night before her surgery being completely broken. I I was considering as I laid there and prayed what my life would be like without my wife. And I have to tell you, it was horrible. My life was empty. I realized in that moment how I take her for granted. And it was a special moment. God showed me a glimpse of what love and marriage is supposed to look like. Of course, Mary recovered. And I went back to taking her for granted. (laughs) Guys, women, don't be like me. See, first we're to love and to cherish the people God has put into our life. Never take them for granted. Realize that they are a gift from God himself. And then second, this is even tougher, try to wrap your head around the fact that God's love for you is infinitely deeper than any love that we have ever experienced. God knew you. He loved you before he formed you in your mother's womb. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. The psalmist wrote, his love, his steadfast love, endures forever. Rich Mullins sang a song that spoke to the love of God, and one verse describes such love love as the reckless, raging fury that they call the love of God. Now, from a human perspective, God's love could be considered reckless. Some would say it's reckless to, to love someone who's turned their back on you. But that's our perspective. God did it. God still loves us. God's love is also a raging fury that can't be stopped. We can't control it. God's love has the power to change lives. It consumes whatever lies before us. His love is great. God isn't going to stop loving you. God loves you when you let him down. God loves you when you're not very lovable. God loves you through your greatest joys. And he loves you in your deepest moments of despair. And the fact is, sometimes we still have trouble believing that God could love us, that God could love you, that God could love me. We've convinced ourselves that we're not lovable. We're not worthy of his love. Or maybe we've decided that God doesn't care. Or we believe that we have done some things that cannot be forgiven. And through it all, God says, I love you. I love you. His love is a raging fury. Its width and length and height and depth are infinite. And that amazing love that God has for you and me results in the greatest gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God loved the world. God loves entire creation. He created it. He loves it. And God gave. God gave the best gift that has ever been given. God gave his only son, Jesus. He sent Jesus to us. Jesus left the throne room of heaven. He left paradise to live as one of us. He left paradise to live in the slum. You know, this Christmas season we celebrated over two months ago is a time, and Christmas is a time of giving. 
We often give to charities or we give to our church or we give gifts to our family and our friends. And I think we would all admit opening presents is fun. It's, it's cool to get a, a new toy, maybe a new phone or a power tool. Our clothes, our jewelry are the two gifts that wives love the most. Either a new vacuum cleaner or a new toilet bowl brush. Right, ladies? I actually have learned something about gifts. The greatest gifts are the ones where someone gives of themselves. Spending time with our son Adam and his wife Ruth over the holidays or during a trip to Arizona or a vacation is better. It's a better gift than money can ever buy. Having our son Brett over for dinner on Tuesdays is the highlight of the week. Of course, Brett bringing our grand dog, Penny, to our house makes it even better. But the point is, is the best gifts can't be bought. The best gifts are the person giving of themselves. And that's what God did. God gave his son. God gave the most precious part of himself to us. And you know this, God didn't just give his son to hang out with us for a few years on earth. No, he gave his son to die as a sacrifice for our sins. In the middle of our passage in verse 14, Jesus spoke of Moses lifting up snakes in the wilderness. And maybe that passed by you, or maybe you heard that, and you thought, I don't remember that. Well, if you don't remember the snake being lifted up in the wilderness, see, the Jewish people back then in the time of Moses had rebelled against God when they were in the wilderness. And God sent fiery serpents as a judgment. And it opened the people's eyes. They realized their sin, and so they begged Moses to intercede, and he did. And then God told Moses to make a snake of bronze and set it up on a pole. 